Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about Oktoberfest beer and specifically the classic style Miazen or Marzen or Miazen. I heard like Mersen. Mersen. Okay. Well, okay. We never really got to the bottom of it. But, I uh, never took German. Vogelbaum is pretty much all that I know. Well, I did take German four years of it. And I worked in a German <laughs> office for a whole semester. And so I have no excuse. As per usual, I will say, surprisingly, beer didn't come up that much in my office. Huh. You know what did come up a lot? Fries. French fries. Ooh. Mm. Well, see, you had priorities, and that's fine. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how to say that either, though. <laughs> it's too mere lied. I remember sorry because I apologized a lot <laughs> for my bad pronunciation. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I suppose the time is right. This was a Lauren Lauren suggestion. I actually really don't know much about this beer. I had never really heard that name before. I've heard like Oktoberfest beers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Mausen or Marzen, however you pronounce it, I had not 
really heard of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think that I was very aware of it. I think that I've consumed a certain amount of it um, during Oktoberfest season around around town here in Atlanta. We're we're very lucky to have a number of uh, of beer bars and uh, local breweries that do some super interesting stuff. Um, and I was thinking about it because one new one called uh, Halfway Crooks just released this entire Oktoberfest lineup, and they're serving all of this delicious-looking Bavarian food, and <laughs> I really want to go over there. Um, so mm. this is this is why I was thinking about it. Mm. See, I'd almost totally forgotten about it since time is essentially meaningless these days. Uh, but <laughs> I did, um, I did when I was in my youth— I went to many a bad Oktoberfest at one Helen, Georgia. Ah. Yeah, uh-huh. such so as yep. a, a, shall we say, very interesting kind of German-Dutch-themed town. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, my dad was a professor at the local college, so all these people would come up and ask me questions about how to pass his class. <laughs> And then it would inevitably get back to my dad that I was out drinking late or whatever it was. Small town! Yeah. Oh, well. They were fun, but I'm sure they weren't very uh, authentic Oktoberfest celebrations. Oh, yeah, I... I somehow doubt it as well, uh, knowing, you know, uh, the, the the little bit or, or having spent the little bit of time that I have in Helen. Um, but I'm sure it was enthusiastic. And that's that's part of what counts. It, yes. Yes. Enthusiasm was there for sure. Um, so we have done a few episodes on beer, types of beer. We've done sour beers. Unless I'm mistaken, we did Pilsner. It's quite I possible. I don't think we did, did we? I think it's just come up in so many yeah. because it really changed the whole beer landscape that I just feel like we have. <laughs> yeah. We, we definitely talk about it in stouts and porters. Oh, uh, 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 IPAs. We did uh, do an episode on IPAs. And right. I think that's what you're thinking of. That's yeah. right. Not I Pilsner knew, yet. I knew there was another one in there. <laughs> um and yeah, I I also wanted to announce that if you're uh, looking for something to watch on Netflix, uh, their Halloween lineup includes a new film called Oktoberfest, Beer and Blood. So that's an option. <laughs> I yeah. can't tell you more than that. Um, uh, I feel like like everything that you need to know, it says right there on the tin. I, um, I agree. Uh, and the the thumbnail image gives me a pretty big clue that it's tourist gone wrong. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. And as always, with these uh, alcohol episodes, drink responsibly. Yes. Yes. Always. Yes. But okay, that brings us to our question. Mm-hmm. Oktoberfest beers in Marsen. What are they? Well, uh, okay. Uh, th- these days... Oktoberfest or uh, Mausen might mean, I'm just going to say Marzen like an American, y'all. I, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong anyway, so I'm just going to go with Marzen. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it might mean a variety of things, depending on the brewer who's making it and their their interpretation of the style. But um, 
the essence, perhaps, of Marzen is that it's a it's a pale lager, um, amber to golden in color, uh, rich with toasty malt flavors, a little bit creamy in the mouthfeel, but pretty crisp, uh, light in alcohol, around 5 to 6% ABV, maybe up to 6.5. Um, that's alcohol by volume, by the way. Um, and if I may get a little bit poetical about this style, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it should remind you of, of fall leaves and, and the weather turning. Oh, that is a little poetical, and I love it. <laughs> I do have a tradition on, I like to get a summer beer and a fall beer. I have, I would say goodbye to summer and then hello to fall. Yeah. Um, so Aww. I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just crisp and, and sort of the color of fall leaves. Um mm-hmm. And for a long time, um, the Marzen was synonymous with Oktoberfest in Germany, so the style is sometimes called Oktoberfest. However, the the way that we make Oktoberfest here in America is sort of like a time capsule, um, uh, like a window to what the style was in Germany around the turn of the 20th century. Um, a little sweet and biscuity, a little bit spicy from hops, um, amber in color— but but the styles of beers brewed for Oktoberfest continued developing over in Germany. And so these days, an Oktoberfest beer enjoyed there is going to be golden and cleaner, um, still a little bit sweet, more bready than biscuity, which I know is like a really in-the-weeds beer nerd kind of distinction. But but I guess, I guess bready is a little bit like fresher almost, like the smell of fresh-baked bread, whereas biscuity is a little bit toastier and and maybe a little bit heavier. Hmm. I I feel like it's something that I couldn't really describe very well, but I can just feel it. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's that biscuit feeling. Uh, I know all deep about in the biscuit feeling. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We in the South absolutely know about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but so so this um this this more golden uh, uh cleaner bready style that was developed in Germany. Um, this style is now sometimes called uh, Festbier or uh, Weissen, which means meadow and refers to the fields where Oktoberfest takes place. And yeah, so that's going to be the dominant style of Oktoberfest in Germany, whereas ours is the Marzen. Um, but okay, I just threw like a lot of words at y'all. Um <laughs> and my cat Sava is throwing some words at me. Goodness, little buddy. We'll She's see if he lets questions. me continue. <laughs> he does. About he this does. as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes. Um, uh, Oktoberfest. Uh, it is an annual autumn festival that is held in Munich, Germany, um, which is an area known for its breweries. So, so part of the festivities have always included local beers. And uh, it, it also includes celebrations of the local folk culture of Bavaria with um, music and dance and puppetry and costumes, parades, food, uh, games, uh, shooting displays, and rides. Yes, like one that is apparently called the Pendulum of Chaos. <laughs> now, I'm shocked that this is not a thing that you personally designed for us in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I'm but- shocked as well. Apparently, I had to read up on this after Annie just entered a note in the outline that said, the pendulum of chaos? (laughs) Yeah, no explanation. Um, (laughs) No explanation. I was like, what pendulum and what chaos? But yeah, this is a ride that was new as of 2018 and is apparently a swing and slingshot 
ride with two cabins fitting eight passengers each, which can both go in all possible directions, according to the telegraph. Ooh. So I'm like, is this a Wonkavator? What's happening? I don't understand. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like beer plus (laughs) pendulum of chaos. I mean, that's part of the chaos element (laughs) that you're introducing. (laughs) It works on multiple Uh, levels. Yeah, Mm. it does. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, we're a food show. The beer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so 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 before we get into these specific styles of beer, very brief beer overview. Uh, beer is what you get when you make a thin soup out of grains and then encourage yeasts to eat the sugars in that soup and poop uh, carbon dioxide bubbles and alcohol and flavor. Yeast poop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now I said that a marzen is a lager, and, and that refers to the type of yeast that's used to brew it. Lagers are made with, with yeasts that thrive at relatively cool temperatures, about 40 to 50 Fahrenheit or 5 to 10 Celsius. Um, these are sometimes called bottom-fermenting yeasts because uh, they easily sink to the bottom of the fermenting vessel and were traditionally collected from the bottom when making the next batch of beer. The yeasts uh, that make ales, in comparison, thrive at warmer temperatures, like a 20 Fahrenheit or 15 Celsius warmer. Um, And those are top fermenting, meaning that they kick up more foam at the top of the vessel while they're doing that fermentation and are then collected from the top when they're done. Now, in a lager, um, those lower temperatures mean that the fermentation process happens more slowly, and the resulting beers really benefit from being aged a little bit, like a few months at least, um, in in, uh, cool conditions. And this process is known as lagering. Um, The the yeasts used are varieties of a species called Saccharomyces pastorianus um, in honor of Louis Pasteur's contributions to brewing, um, including his early recognition that top-dwelling and bottom-dwelling yeasts were inherently distinct. Oh, I, I have a quick, like, related note that I want to yeah. share. Yeah. Um, so my mom's birthday was this weekend, and I meant to text you this, Lauren, but I thought this might be too <laughs> weird a text to send to a <laughs> friend and coworker on a weekend. Um, okay. She said what she wanted for her birthday was a documentary on Louis Pasteur. And oh. it was about one of the sweetest things. I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> That's so great. This is where I get it from. Oh. That's amazing. Did you find her one? No, I'm I'm looking for it, but uh, uh yeah, she that's what she, you know, I was just imagining she loves gardening, something with that, or I don't know, yeah. but I was never in my wildest dreams that I think she was gonna say a doctor. Bust out with Louis Pasteur, yeah. Louis Pasteur. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is so sweet. Oh no. All right. Well, if anyone has a good one, please write in. Yes, yes, please. My mom is, uh, you're my mom's only hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, but, but, but lagers, yes. Yeah. So, um, so the, the, the flavors and colors that you get in any given lager once it's finished are going to depend heavily on the ingredients that you put into it, uh, your, your malts and your hops. Um, but a unifying trait tends to be a crisp, clean taste. Um, because A, the, those yeasts have had a little bit longer to eat the, the sugars in the grain soup. Um, and B, because 
lager yeasts don't produce as many um, floral or fruity flavors as ale yeasts do. Um, so therefore, lager yeasts let the flavors of the malts really shine. Um, and that grain soup, by the way, that the, it's, it's called wort. Mm-hmm. Um, don't go to your local brewer and say, hey, this podcaster, Lauren Vogelbaum, told me to call it grain soup. Or I mean, do. I guess I can't stop you now that I've put that out into the universe. But yeah. it's called Let us wart. know how it goes. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brewers, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are you, though? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 Marzen in particular. Okay, so those malts in Marzen. Um, okay, uh, backing up a step from that. Um, a, a malt is a grain that's been germinated and then dried, and the germination makes the sugars in the grains more accessible to your yeasts. And how you dry them or, or kiln them, as it's called, um, will give you a range of flavors and colors. In your final beer, uh, pale beers use very lightly kilned malts, and darker beers use malts that have been uh, toasted, creating caramelization, and or roasted, uh, creating the uh, Maillard reaction. And a Marzen is, is usually going to be a blend of a few different styles of, of traditional malt, um, Pilsner, Vienna, and Munich, named for the cities where they were developed. Um, Pilsner is a very light malt. Uh, Munich is caramelized and Vienna is roasted. So how much of each you use will depend on what you want the final product to be like. And hops. Uh, hops are added to beer partially because they, they help control the growth of unwanted microbes um, and sometimes to add their own strong flavors like in an IPA and sometimes more to just balance the sweetness of the malts with a touch of bitterness. And um, and that latter flavor gig is the gig in Marzen and other lagers, like the Pilsner, um, because, yeah, you, you shouldn't even really notice that the hops are there in the final product. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Hmm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> what about the nutrition? Drink responsibly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will say, in general, um, the lower the ABV or alcohol by volume, um, the fewer calories a beer typically will have. Um, so that puts Marzen in, like, the low to mid range, calorically speaking. But, you know. Yeah. You yeah. know. Um, <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. We do. Okay, so Oktoberfest, the, the festival, attracts mm-hmm. around 6 million festival goers Every year, but not this one because of COVID, um, mm-hmm. in Germany. And only six breweries, all located in Munich, serve beer at the fest. According to an article, Dana Hattick at Eater wrote, uh, festival goers in 2017 drank, quote, 7.7 million liters of beer, along with 466,747 roast chickens, <laughs> 206,535 pairs of pork sausages, and close to 45,000 kilograms of roasted almonds. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know about this roast chicken aspect. That was news no, to me. No, no. Me neither. And it came up in a couple of different notes. It did indeed. Um, huh. 12,000 hectoliters of beer was poured for the 100th anniversary of Oktoberfest in 1910. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, lots of of beer being sampled. Lots of food being had. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... 
for sure, we'll have to do further episodes about some of the other stuff that yeah. goes on at Oktoberfest at a later date and time. Bavarian cuisine is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So, but but yeah, yeah, for, for now, that's what we've got. Um, and we do have some history for you. We do, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash saver. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. 
Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, beer is old. Very old. That's what I have to say. (laughs) Yes, beer is like Neolithic. Uh, Both wine and beer existed long before the wheel, um, probably some 9,000 years ago, and, and humans are still untangling evidence about when beer really became a thing. But I'm going to say like 5,000 to 9,000 years ago. Um, and beer brewing was tied to bread making um, because both have used Saccharomyces cerevisiae yeasts in order to make the, the stuff happen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So old. Old. Not new. Old. Yes. yes. Yeah. Jumping just a little bit ahead, um, uh, the refinement of beer into the beginnings of a few different styles that we would recognize today began right around the beginning of the Renaissance. Um, Sometime in the 1400s, brewers in the German state of Bavaria began making what's now known as lagers. Yes, and before refrigeration, beer brewers in Germany couldn't brew after the weather warmed up in March because the higher temperatures would allow for the introduction of airborne bacteria into the fermentation tanks. Those last beers of winter were aged through spring and summer, and once cooler weather rolled around again in September or October, they tapped the beers. And these beers tasted a bit fuller, smoother, and people called them Marsenbier sometimes shortened to Marsen or March in German. Makes sense. I don't know how I didn't pick up on that, but yeah. I know, right? Huh. Mm -hmm. In anticipation of this aging process, Marsen started as strong and dark brews with either caramelized Munich malts and or roasted Vienna malts. And they were sometimes stored in caves and cellars. Mm -hmm. And what was happening here was that these brewers were unwittingly domesticating a whole new species of yeast, the aforementioned um, S. pastorianus. And this is actually a hybrid of the standard brewer's yeast, um, S. cerevisiae, and S. ubianus, I think. Um, uh, and, and we only figured that out in like 2011, so this is exciting new science. But at any rate, yes, um, this happened as those brewers uh, selected those bottom-dwelling yeasts after each batch and then used them to ferment their next batch. Um, extra interestingly, though, um, uh, the, the, the thing that Cerevisiae blended with, that Eubianus, um, doesn't seem to be native to Europe at all, but is thought to have come in via trade with East Asia. Ooh. Yeah. Very interesting. 
The first Oktoberfest festival took place to celebrate the wedding of Crown Prince, later King, Ludwig I of Bavaria to Princess Theresa in 1810 as a way to foster a sense of unity in Bavaria after a rebellion. It was a five-day event attended by 40,000 citizens Ooh. held on Theresienweise or uh, Theresa's Meadow, or perhaps it's Theresienweise, one of those. Or maybe neither. I tried. Um, there was a huge yeah. horse race. Uh, the idea of a member of the Bavarian National Guard, Andreas Michael Dahl Army. Um, and the style of beer served at this first fest was probably what's known today as Dunkel, um, which is a, a darker lager. Mm-hmm. This festival was apparently so successful that people decided to make it an annual thing at the same venue, a celebration of fall, harvest, and, of course, Beer that was perfectly timed for the tapping of Marzen. Not only that, the city of Munich awarded Dalarmi the very first citizen's gold medal for inventing Oktoberfest. It did get canceled in 1813 due to the Napoleonic Wars. When the wars came to an end, the event was brought back with private funding until 1819 when the city of Munich stepped in. They decided it was a big enough deal and it was a way to show off kind of the culture of the area. Um, over the years, things like cholera dampened the festival spirit. So it took a few decades before Oktoberfest solidified into the event we know it as today. Mm-hmm. The Statue of Bavaria, the guardian of Oktoberfest, was unveiled in 1850. Roast-style chicken debuted in 1881, and yes, it's still served to this day. Hmm. A carousel and swings went up in 1818, and starting in the 1870s, more and more rides went up as part of this festival. Beer stands were replaced by tents in 1896. The first known instance of Bratwurst was in 1881. <laughs> in 1887, Lederhosen and Durndil were named the official attire of Oktoberfest to further promote Bavarian culture. Uh, these were traditional work attire outfits. Mm -hmm. And now, th there was some cross-pollination of brewing trends and technologies going on in the area at the time. Um, Munich was really heavy into lagers, these things like the Dunkel that were, um, that were cellared away starting in March. Um, Vienna, meanwhile, was really into ales. Um, and as the Marzen that we know today developed, it was influenced by both of these processes. Yes. Over time, uh, these processes met some of the beer brewing practices in England. Gabriel Sadelmeyer, the first of Munich's Spaten Brewery, a brewer known for his knowledge in yeast management and bottom fermentation, sent his son Gabriel II, uh, his son and apprentice, <laughs> to learn the methods from breweries in London and Edinburgh, where pale ales were all the rage. And uh, Gabriel was occasionally accompanied by a brewer out of Vienna. They went and studied at a lot of these breweries together. And as they were learning from UK brewers, there was simultaneously a lot of innovation in beer brewing, including malt kilns. Yeah, and we talk about this in our uh, Stout and or Porter episode, so see that for a little bit more about this development of, uh, of kilning. Yes. Uh, when Gabriel returned and took over his family's brewery in the 1830s, he incorporated some of these techniques and methods that he picked up, including improving how he made Munich-style malts. 
Meanwhile, his accomplice, Anton Dreyer, returned to Vienna with the idea of making lager beers the color of pale ales by using pale malts. This resulted in a beer that was lighter than traditional Munich-style beers. In 1841, he debuted this amber-colored lager beer, and amber beers uh, that came after largely were inspired by this one. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the, the bright golden Pilsner lager debuted a year later in 1842, named for the malts that were being produced in nearby Pilsen, Bohemia. And it didn't take long for the Pilsner to sweep through the rest of Europe. Uh, again, I thought we'd already done an episode because you have to talk about this beer in <laughs> every beer episode. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Vienna-style amber lager remained pretty local. And over in Munich, they were really focused on improving that dunkel. In the 1870s, Gabriel's brother Joseph was experimenting with increasingly popular lighter-colored beers at his own brewery in modern-day Spaten. He brewed one he was pleased with in March 1872. It was called Original Marzen. Um, it had a much longer name, but essentially shortened down to Original Marzen. Or Marzen, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was served at that year's Oktoberfest. It was expensive, but people loved it. Like, it sold out. Um, mm -hmm. And that, of course, other brewers took note of that and made their hmm. own in that style. And it became the signature style of Oktoberfest. And that original Marsen uh, is still served at Oktoberfest in Munich. The structure, in fact, that it was originally served from, which is this little barn built by one uh, Michael uh, Schottenhammel, uh, back in 1867, that that barn still stands, mm -hmm. and and it is still serving beer to this. Well, to, not not to this day because Oktoberfest isn't happening. But yes, every Oktoberfest it happens. <laughs> yes. Oh, and beginning in the 1890s, officials shifted the festival to the end of September, but it lasted into October. Mm -hmm. This coincided with the advent of refrigeration, which allowed for beer of any style to be brewed year-round, which made Marson's name sort of antiquated, but brewers kept it to describe a particular style of beer. And through this, it became tied to the amber lager beer, now symbolic of Oktoberfest. The mayor of Munich tapped the first Oktoberfest keg in 1950, and that has since become a tradition. The horse races came to an end in the 1960s. And yeah, that barn, the aforementioned barn, is where that first ceremonial keg is tapped. Oktoberfest came to the U.S. with German immigrants and La Crosse, Wisconsin, through an Oktoberfest in 1961, for example. Um, Cincinnati followed suit in 1976 with Oktoberfest Zinzinati with Zs. Um, mm -hmm. In 2017, 675,000 people attended. Uh, yeah, I, I believe it's the largest one in the United States. It's definitely one of the largest ones in the United States. Um, there's a running of the wieners. A huge chicken dance. <laughs> Sounds like a, a right hoot. And several listeners have written in about it. So, oh, yeah. Well, when travel we'll is a it. thing, we will have to go. Yeah, we'll add it to our ever-growing list of field trips. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, in the 1970s, back over in Germany, uh, Munich brewery uh, Polliner developed the golden fest beer style as, as a lighter and, quote, I, I quote the head brewer there, more poundable alternative to, uh, to the traditional Marsen. Um, by the 1990s, it became the dominant style at Oktoberfest. Wow. <laughs> 
Um, tragedy struck Oktoberfest in Germany in 1980 when an attack at the festival's entrance left 13 people dead and 200 injured. And the case actually reopened in 2014. Um, a more low-key Oktoberfest with the intent of attracting families was introduced in 2005. For the 200th anniversary in 2010, a historical Oktoberfest was held, and it was so popular it, too, became an annual event, um, barring that every four years that the Bavarian Agricultural Festival is held, in which case it is not held that year. But every other instance, yes. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. So many Oktoberfest options to be had. Oh, there really are, yeah. And, and uh, you know— uh, through, through, you know, p- pretty much, I would say, wherever German immigrants have settled, you probably have some kind of Oktoberfest celebration to to be to be enjoyed. Um, you know, maybe may- maybe we're we're all kind of hunkered down this year, but but hopefully in future years we can all get out and enjoy some of them. Yes, cheers to that. Mm-hmm. Prost. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, but we do have some listener mail for you. In the meantime. We do, but first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No Me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, mm-hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Home sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> West Home offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, 
both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! And we're back! Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Snow Snowmerl. It's got a big tankard of beer. It's like that scene in, uh, is it Beauty and the Beast, where they all (laughs) singing about Gaston doing this motion that the listeners can't see, but I I bet you can picture it. (laughs) I bet you can. (laughs) That song has some of my favorite lines of any Disney song, because he's so stuck up. It makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's the one about spitting that gets me every time. Um, mm-hmm. what is it? Um, I'm exceptionally good at expectorating. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. It is. And bad stuff at the same time. It's both. <laughs> but in a very catchy song. In, yeah, very catchily. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Elsa wrote about, uh, box wine. Colloquially, it's known as Goon here. So, a writer, another writer from Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and the inner plastic layer is known as a Goon bag. It lends its name to what I think is the best drinking game of all time Goon of Fortune. This is where a group of friends <laughs> gather it in a circle around a clothesline, which has the full bags from box wine pegged to it. And then the clothesline is spun in a circle to see who it stops over, with the wine then being chugged by the player. I've also seen examples of college students inflating the bags after use and taping them together to form footstools and pillows. One of my friends also made the national papers for creating a Sailor Moon-themed costume entirely out of boxed wine bladders, which she dubbed Sailor Goon. There is a BuzzFeed article on it, everyone. It's so good. It's so good. Um, All this to say, it's a baffling cultural phenomenon. (laughs) And in my mind, one of the most entertaining parts of being Australian. 
Uh, that's that's wonderful. Again, uh, I can't believe I didn't encounter this. We didn't encounter it in our research, but I'm so glad the listeners yeah. have let us know. And also, yeah, Sailor Goon. Oh. Sailor Goon. Oh, see, I thought I already had a favorite Sailor Moon pun <laughs> outfit, and it's Sailor Mercury, but it's Freddie Mercury from uh, Queen. Oh, but Sailor uh-huh. Goon might, I don't know, that's pretty good. <laughs> that is, that is, it is a, you know. It's a thing of beauty. It's, it's, it's a thing of absolute beauty. She mm-hmm. is truly on the forefront of uh, a, a Sailor Moon pun costumery. <laughs> yeah. A beautiful soldier. Yes. Um, of love and justice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob wrote, I'm walking back to my room here in London just after 11 p.m. now and found that I needed to write in because as I was listening to Lauren describing how her snails would do what she called her favorite thing to watch them do, how they would climb up the side of the tank just to push off and float back down, but she didn't know a name for the activity, a name for it immediately came to my mind. Couldn't believe that neither one of you thought of it. Of course, they were absnailing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry, but I just couldn't help myself. Uh, this is one of my very favorite things about our listeners is when they write in for like puns, like puns that we missed. That's yeah, the best. Yes, like that's the best type is. of correction we can get. Is like, oh, dear, letter to the like, editor. <laughs> you can't missed. believe you missed this pun. <laughs> yes. Yes. Us neither. Thank you for sharing your brilliance, all of you. Yes. Oh, heck. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, thanks to both of them for writing. Uh, if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality, high quality and immersive sound, a sleek design. All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro series has all of those and the Roku streaming experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day. And regular, all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros.
you wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.